You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. There's a place here at the table. Your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic because your waistband's going to get tight. Take time's done we're having a night. Hi, guys. Hi. I'm Sophie. I'm Ari. And you're listening to Having a Night a podcast dedicated to reviving the lost art of the dinner party. This week, we have on such an exciting guest. Yes. Chef Davis Lindsay, someone I have been friends with since I was 17. We went to college together. Incredible vegetarian chef and farmer. He's a true gem. He is, ugh. We just took a little walk around the, your gardens, and he just knew what everything was. I was like, can you, can his, I trail behind you for life? His knowledge of farming is truly encyclopedic. It's pretty incredible. So listen up. We did record this episode outside in late, late summer. So there are some strange noises, but you know, you'll get used to it. Yeah. Enjoy guys. Guys, we're here with the miraculous chef Davis Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) We're sitting outside in Millbrook. We've got some beautiful cheese. We've got a blue, we've got a local kind of goat cheese with a uh, cow cream. Oh, it's really good. Got some mm. black crinkly olives. Oil cured, perhaps? Oil cured, yeah. Some cars, plain. Ooh, pepper crackers. Are they, I think I just got the plain. Oh. No, I think, I feel like I see a speck of, anyway, it doesn't matter. I love a car's water cracker. You want to put money on it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Ari, what did you eat this week? This week, I had, you know, I had a rough week, so I have been making this satar chicken that's really good. It's really comforting. It's just chicken legs uh, roasted. And then you make with the pan juices, you mix it with satar and some um, uh, cardamom pots, uh, crushed and uh, lemon zest. And then you pour that over. And I made some tadig, like crispy rice. And that was my kind of meal of the week. But what about you? Well, I was just, I was just telling these two people um, that I was in L.A., And I went to this hole-in-the-wall but, like, exclusive um, silly Japanese steak restaurant in, I guess, kind of in Brentwood that our friend Bill Fischel, who Davis knows very well, got us into. So it was, like, nine of us. It was, like, a bunch of my guy friends from college. It was very fun um, until the end of the night when I was sitting there and laughed so hard that I threw my head back and like bucked onto a glass and it slid right into my forehead so it was like meal gone wrong the steak had been incredible her eyes people i'm looking at between my eyes now and it's like she's got a little um (laughs) and by little i mean it's like strangely huge i keep on referring to it as a goiter which i know usually comes out of your neck but i feel like that it's like a protuberance a white protuberance between my eyes because our friend john koenig who i know is a long-time listener of this podcast oh yes glued it back together because he's an orthopedic surgeon. So he like took the surgical glue, but then the glue attracts everything. So when I tried to hide it from the sun, 
with zinc. Got layers of I just crust have. I mean, there. it's repulsive. I'm hoping that it's going to fall off it's in like the next so couple many days. Layers of concealer and it's sunscreen. Terrible. We can cut through it when you take it off, and then it'll be like a tree. Many years. Davis. Hey, Davis. Hey. What did you eat this week? Uh, well, I'm not not quite as good of meals as you guys. I'm feeling a little malnourished right now. Mm-hmm. I, I had some fries from a uh, drive-in movie theater last night and some more fries at the Dutchess County Fair the night before that. <sighs> I love, love a county that you're fair. a professional chef and you had a double fry meal. Double fry meal. Just but you know fries. what? Your body may feel malnourished, but I feel like your soul is doubly nourished. Oh, wow. Yes. Don't you think? Well, yeah. I was well. I was at Disneyland on Friday, which was my other great meal of the week, and <laughs> I only ate have one. Okay, fine. No, you can. But talk. I ate a corn dog, and I think that it nourished my soul, even if it didn't nourish my body. But also at Disneyland, you're walking around so much that you're like, I could eat anything, and it would never show. Well, I'd like to talk about <laughs> portable foods, but that's a different podcast. Portable, ooh, the portable food. Mm-hmm. New York Slice, classic portable food. Yes. Okay. Okay, Davis. All right, Davis is an incredible chef. He's a farmer. He kind of does everything. He's a jack of all trades, if you will. Right now, he's working at this place called Lundy Farm. Helped start this place, Lundy Farm? Yeah. Yeah. Got it off the ground. I was there in June, and it was one of the greatest weekends of this summer. It was really unbelievable. The food is next level. Like, watching Davis in his element was very moving for me. Um, and it's just, it's almost like an, it's like a and b slash retreat. Anyway, so you tell us about Lundy Farm. And then tell us about your journey to becoming a chef and a farmer and all these things that you've become. Sure. Um, well, Lundy Farm began playing a, a game of risk with, what? with uh, Mike Patton, the, the founder of Yoga Vida, who is also the founder Shut of up. Lundy Farm. Oh, Wait, yeah. isn't risk a board game, risk not an is, actual truth or dare? Risk is a board game, and, and here we're playing this game, and there had been previous seeds planted uh, going on retreats with Mike. He was like, hey, what do you think about starting a retreat center? And that was the seed. So then we started looking at properties. And after looking at some crazy properties all over the Hudson Valley, all which could have been potential retreats, we found Lundy Farm. And it is a a farm in the middle of a 30,000-acre state park. um, So cool. Previously owned by Irving Lundy. I'm raising my hand because I have a question. Please. Was this like you were looking at farms that were for sale or you like showed up at Lundy Farm like a bunch of gangsters and were like, hey, sir, we're going to offer you this money? No, we were we were looking at farms that were for sale. Okay. Um, and specifically farms that could be turnkey into this type of project. Are there a lot of those? Uh, you would be surprised. Huh. There's a lot of folks out there that are trying to sell their properties in the package of a BNB wow. or a retreat center. Um, so, and I think a lot more people are, are interested in this type of concept now. So, we found Lundy Farm, and the backstory was incredible. Irving Lundy. Uh, had the largest restaurant in the country from the 20s to the 70s so in cool. Sheepshead Bay. He wow. was a bootlegger, and he had very fine taste, so it was beautifully landscaped, and the buildings were intact, and we just retrofitted it and turned it into what it is now. That's also, amazing. Also, anybody who 
is listening to this, you should go and I guess look at their website. Or I'm sure there are photos of this crazy pond there. It's a blue like I've never seen in natural water before. It's really? unbelievable. Somebody was actually, did you put a filter on that? It's like, no, it's a real. It's incredible. But so Davis is cooking all vegetarian food, right? Yep, all vegetarian food out of a uh, almost one could say a, a hybrid between a commercial and residential kitchen. And we serve all the f- food on this huge 25-person table that was made out of church beams from a company called Sandtown in Baltimore, where I'm from. And it's it's like having it's, a night. It's really but, special. That's yeah, awesome. Also, the fact that you're allowed to drink is like really helpful. You can, I thought maybe it was going to be like very part. ascetic, and yeah. it's not. Wait, now tell me, when did you become? Because you were vegan for a little bit, right? Uh, no, I've always been vegetarian, so. but not always. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> what? Since I've known you, you've been vegetarian. Always vegetarian. Shut up. Wait, not. you've been vegan since a vegetarian since you were a kid? No, I have been vegetarian since 2009. So for about okay. a decade. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. So in very, college you weren't. I That's what not, I mean. I was not a vegan in college or a vegetarian. I um, ate pretty much everything. And what was the transition into becoming veggie? What was the transition? Um, well, the the real story is when I moved to New York City um, from Colorado for a woman. Uh, big mistake never <laughs> somewhere for a woman or a man um, my boyfriend's about to move here <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I may have been overstaying my welcome so I got the invitation to then move into my brother's apartment which is on 6th street this beautiful apartment Ooh, East Village East Village Best. and um, he and his partner Colleen who also uh, are involved at Lundy Farm um, are vegetarian and pretty strict so that was part of the rule. Okay. And then I tried it, and I was like, this is great. Have you, If you've ever heard of the, the, uh, the moment when you first become vegetarian, that first year, like, your brain is clear, and you're, like, flying high. So I felt Don't that. give Sophie any ideas. <laughs> I've really been thinking about it a lot lately. <laughs> Just do it for a year or so. Oh, my God. like, oh, this is great. And also, because I've had such a crazy brain fog, like, I'll try anything at this point. <laughs> Except for not drinking, apparently, which is probably the only thing that would help. Mm. Who knows? This retreat, you can drink, but you can't eat meat. <laughs> clear brain, clear hearts, clear minds, clear heads, full hearts, whatever. <laughs> anyway, okay, so, and that was it. So you're flying high. And I was flying high, and I was like, this works for me. I, 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 wow. have, I have a little bit of a, a larger stature, so if you could think about foods and their heaviness and their lightness qualities, having a lot of lighter food uh, worked for me. Mm-hmm. So, here I am. I feel like it's very hard for people to create meals that feel whole when they don't have what they perceive as an animal protein. How do you create a meal, particularly obviously when you're cooking for strangers, that feels whole, complete, delicious, and still doesn't have like what we would call, you know, like a main? Tell me about how you structure a meal. How, how would I structure a meal? I would say um, people throw around the word balanced like they throw around sustainability and you just need to have balanced flavors and textures. So yeah. um, with with meat, uh, what what flavors are you guys getting out of out of your meat dishes? I don't think I could even define the flavor of meat. Juicy. Exactly. It's like all juicy. textures like actually, umami. right? 
Heavy. So what else is heavy out there? You have a lot of squash, mushrooms, squash, mushrooms, and you you play with these flavors and these textures, and you always want to have some grain and some legumes um, Mm -hmm. mixed into your meal. They don't need to be the the center point of the Mm -hmm. meal. The vegetables are usually their center point. Um, And I find with a balance of of fats and largely vegetables... um, you can get the, these this very flavorful meal that make you makes you feel very balanced and fulfilled. Well, it's funny because in a lot of ways, I feel like vegetables are so much more flavorful, of course, than meat. A because there is a much wider variety, but also it's like I think in the like in macrobiotics, part of what they talk about is this idea that you you know you're supposed to chew upwards of thirty times, and like by the tenth chew of a piece of meat, it's totally lost its flavor, mm. and it's like this weird mass sitting in your mouth whereas with a vegetable it sort of develops and like also starts to break down in your mouth anyway not to be discussing about it but i've never thought of it that way in macrobiotics you also have this chart the expansive and contractive chart Mm -hmm. which which some cosmologists like mary mary evelyn tucker tucker of yale also like talks about in relation to understanding the universe um Hmm. And you have really expansive and contractive foods. So contractive foods would be meat, something that you want to eat in a contractive period uh-huh. uh, where you maybe want to feel a little more introverted. Hmm. Um, and expansive oh. foods would be like almost thinking of what looks expansive. So like a really open cauliflower. vegetable, like cauliflower or... Um, like a tomato, something that's really juicy, and in the center Whoa. where those balanced points meet, um, you have your legumes, your grains, and vegetables kind of hover between the balanced, the center point, mm-hmm. and the expansive point. So maybe so. that's why, going along with my theory, vegans tend to be tend to proselytize their, you know, they they try and turn everyone else into vegans. They're, they, they tend to be very because they're so expansive. Exactly. <laughs> but it's similar. The, the vegans are are minorities, and yes. and folks that are constantly in the minority are constantly fighting. Fighting, to, sure, it's true. To be underdog attitude, so they can eat not just sides at a regular restaurant. I just yes. want to call macrobiotic, macrobiotism, macrobioticness as the next food trend. Maybe twenty twenty one. I think it's going to. Take a little while to get there, but I have a feeling it's coming. You think it's coming back? I mean, it's coming back. I think Ayurveda is actually the. the mm. Oh, interesting. I would say more so than macrobiotics. I'm just picturing which name I'm going to see on Goop. Well, it's Ayurveda is already on. Yeah, exactly. Ayurveda. It's always macrobiotic. That's you, why I'm saying no, but I think, but I think Ayurveda is like that's the current like sort of verging on trend. And I think 2021 people are going to be like, let's just go back to macrobiotics, man. Like, do you want to explain what? I, well, you sure. were cooking Ayurvedic for a while. Uh, yeah, Ayurveda uh, translates to the science of life. It is the health uh, system of India. Um, so you can get. Uh, BAMS in Ayurveda, which would be comparative to an MD uh, in Western or in the U.S. culture. And Ayurveda ties in um, the the philosophy of yoga, would be like the sister of yoga, into their, their medical practice. So it is all uh. about lifestyle forms of eating, um, all based in vegetarianism and based in their health system. Yeah. Um, so that is uh, when I say 
cooking with balanced flavors. Ayurveda has five main flavors um, that encompass all the flavors that exist. What are they? Uh, Wait, pita. can I guess? What oh, sorry. I want pita. to guess. No, but oh. they're like... Pita. No, so those are the doshas. So you have oh, pitta. God. You have kapha uh-huh. and you have vata. So vata, you have a lot of vata imbalances in um, in New York City because people people are very creative and airy, um, and they're not fully grounded oh. because there's no soil in New York City. Uh-huh. It's all covered by concrete. Um, so. Um, in New York City, you would want to promote more of a kapha diet. Me being very kapha, no, no kapha food, hence eating French fries. Um, okay. The past two days. So kapha is like soil, very grounded for like, chakra, if you will. I mean, it's flavors. all. It's so interesting because like it's actually all yin and yang. Like these things, like it's all kind of chakras. Like it all comes back to these same ideas of mm-hmm. like astrology. It's all the same theories right of like how grounded are you how up in the clouds are you are you airy are you watery like it's all trying to find balance yeah yeah so tell me what a typical meal at lundy farm would be like or one of your favorites past favorites sure um i can talk a little bit about what we're cooking now sure um and my favorite food right now is something that is called the umble so the umble is a uh it's more or less a take on the pastrami sandwich, mm-hmm. vegetarian style. My grandfather loved food and loved the pastrami sandwich. <laughs> yes. Um, and so we take a carrot. And why it's called the umble is everything in the umble is related to the umble family. So your carrots, your parsnips, your fennel, your caraway, your coriander, all of these are in the umble family. What? I've never heard that word before. Me I feel neither. like an idiot. It's, it's not just the umble, it's like a root? It's called the umbelaceae, would be the scientific name, that would be the species name. Is there like um, a layman's name? Yeah, root just, vegetables, right? Yeah. The or, layman's name. Or is it more specific than that? Uh, no, it, it, I, the layman's term, as far as I know, is just umble. Oh, well. Wow. So, Goes okay. to show. Say I'm less than that? Or we what? never said we were professionals. Thank God. So wow. you, everything in the Umble sandwich is in the Umble family. So we lacto-ferment uh, carrots. Um, and Can you, what is lacto-fermentation? Lacto-fermentation is when you um, put um, something in a brine. So in this case, it's a salty brine. It's about 4% salt uh, per the weight of the vegetable. And you let the carbon dioxide and the bacteria that's eating at the carbon dioxide slowly um, change the flavors of the sugars in the plant that right. you're eating. So, so lacto-fermentation is always done with salt? I don't know explicitly. Um, you could, like kimchi would mm-hmm. be a form of yeah. lacto-fermentation and there's salt in kimchi, but I don't know explicitly if lacto-fermentation is always done with salt. Got it. I would, if I had to guess, I would say yes, but I don't know. Definitely. Don't worry. Um, That'll be a quiz later. <laughs> okay, so we got the ki- we got those lacto fermented carrots. What it, kind of bread is it going on? It's oh, going sorry. on bread alone rye bread, which okay. has caraway seeds in it, yeah. which is also in the Umbel oh family. You crust the carrot with uh, caraway and coriander, also in the Umbel family. Then you slice it thin. Then we make a carrot uh, a carrot mustard and a carrot top aioli. 
with a little bit of a Consider Bardwell cheese. You toast the bread and you have... I love Consider Bardwell. A night. I mean, but this is what I meant about, like, the food was so next level because it's so thoughtful and it's so creative and I felt so good after all of it. Like, that is an exquisite thing. Yeah, you should... To make for that's people. That's amazing and that's just one thing that you've invented. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I invented that. I've, I've had different versions of that. I just like to... Um, I like repetition and I like mm. exaggeration. Mm-hmm. So, um, so nice. this concept of the umbel is an exaggerated form of something that I've had elsewhere. Wow. So I feel like this umbel sandwich leads directly into part of what I really want to talk to you about, which is carrot top aioli, i.e. like how to use foods that we all consider, that so many people think of as scraps or as waste, right. and like how to use parts of the plants that are totally and completely delicious, but we as like, you know, whatever people living in America aren't taught to use. Like I'm, I want to know about carrot tops. I want to know about fennel fronds. I want to know, right. I mean, beet greens I do a lot with, but I don't, you know, I don't know if that's like so many things. Well, it's like the nose to tail uh, ethos, but with vegetables. Yeah, it's the carrot yeah. top to carrot tail. I mean, sure. I don't know, something like that. Carrot. carrot top to carrot bottom. Yeah. Well, whatever, you know what I mean. I mean, then I have so much guilt surrounding food waste. Like, I joined the CSA and I got, you know, so many uh, vegetables that have these tops or, or roots or leaves, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with them. And then they sit in one of my crisper drawers, and I'm like, one day I'm going to make a some kind of, like, pesto or and I don't and they wither and I I find a hard time getting the bitterness out of some of these mm. the, the parts of the vegetables that we traditionally don't eat and I think that's probably why people don't eat them so mm-hmm. what would you tell us to Sophie's question yeah I would say um, one piece of advice was is play with plants in their the form of which they grew and that kind mm. of allows you to get to know them a little more and then just Look at the anatomy of the plant and get a sense of, like, what is the texture of this piece of the plant? What does it want to be? And um, wow. I mean, it's so, like, philosophical. beautifully philosophical. <laughs> yeah, what does it want to be? I mean, I'm sitting there looking at my tops being like, you want to be in the fucking compost. Get out of here. <laughs> but it's so nice to think, like, but, uh, but what if you want to just be a chimichurri? What if you want to be a chimichurri? What if you want to be a pesto? Anything can be different takes of these traditional um, names that... that uh, the more traditionalists have have named all these different sauces and dishes. Um, So I think that allows, uh, by letting the vegetable or the food be the center point, it allows you to kind of break some of these traditional um, barriers that are are holding us back from our creativity. On a more like technical level though like the ale, the carrot top aioli is that what you said it yeah. was, like the one that you're making at the restaurant I'm sure is phenomenal but if I tried to make it at home I feel like it would taste like kind of dirty no offense carrot tops but how do we there's always that disconnect when I go to a great vegetarian restaurant or a, a vegetable centric restaurant where I'm like I could not make that at home I might be able to make like a chicken leg the same way that I taste it but do you know what I mean they, they feel a beet green feels way more challenging to me than cooking the beet itself so are there any tricks or technicalities that I don't know as an amateur home cook like should I be blanching these things or is there a way to kind of get that bitterness out of them yeah blanching is a really good technique to softening something up and taking out its bitterness uh-huh. um 
a beet green, for example, does have a little bit of an earthy yeah. uh, t- uh, flavor to it. So how do you get the earthy flavor out of something? You make sure that you're cooking it in a broth. There's a reason why the oh, borscht okay. exists. Yeah. Um, it, these types of flavors want to be more deeply cooked. Okay. Um, the carrot top is a little more of a crunchier, heartier parsley, but carrot tops usually are available during a longer period than parsley and blanching it is a great way to get some of that that earthy texture out of it and then you make a traditional aioli and you add in the carrot top wow so like what are some of your favorite ways to use things that other people think of as waste well, I think when you have the time, um, we're doing a lot of, of fermentation yeah. at Lundy Farm right now. Um, it's almost like a, a homestead culture where you're trying to utilize everything that's coming off the farm and out of the kitchen. Um, and I think that the concept of food waste is largely connected to the lack of time that we have in our life yes. to actually cook foods, and it actually is a problem. It is a, yeah. it is a problem that is set up within the culture of lack of home cooking yes. to do that than anything else. So then how do we, as lay people who maybe don't have that time, how do we minimize our food waste? Like, is it about buying less and just being more careful with what you've bought and the hours that you do have to cook? Is it about buying certain things and not others? Like, I don't even, I mean, I feel less guilty about food waste that is just vegetables because I compost. But even that, it's like, I think I'm composting. I don't actually, I haven't visited a New York City compost heap. Like, I don't, right. I hope they're actually composting it. Yeah, but I, buying less is definitely a, a first a first point. So take a tomato, for yeah. instance. You have a tomato, and there's a lot going on in the tomato. You don't need to make a traditional caprese salad or um, put basil in a tomato dish every time you you work with the tomato. You have the seeds in the tomato that so have good. tons of flavor that, that get utilized when you eat a fresh tomato, but they're not like fully utilized. You have the meat, you have the tomato skin, you have the whole tomato. You can turn that into a tomato water. You could marinate the tomato. You could puree the tomato, make a sauce. There's so many things that you can do with a tomato and you can just exaggerate the tomato mm-hmm. and just use the tomato with little touches of these other components, which helps mimic the way that you want to um, manage a farm system. Um, so you have different plots in a farm <laughs> system and you want to rotate those crops. So if you exaggerate what you're cooking with specific crops, it could potentially allow more synergy between the farm system and what's happening in yeah. the kitchen. Yeah. I, I would say food waste has been something that um, is easy to grasp onto. Uh, as 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 lay people, um, chefs are trained um, to waste as little as possible because mm. it's so difficult to make a restaurant or any sort of yeah. establishment profitable that you have to utilize everything that is in front of you. Um, mm. So 
it's it's something that we all really grab onto, and it's something that Blue Hill has helped promote, um, doing less of. But it, it's more what the the story of food waste to me is more just trying to inspire the inner chef in everyone. We all went to school, we all cook, we all eat. Everyone can can cook this way, uh, and I, I really believe in that. So it's, mm. it's trying to just encourage the inner chef of everyone. Why is compost important? Um, because compost is is the beginning of of our nutrition in, in the vegetable sphere. You need that nitrogen. You need that that return of what. Um, gets decomposed and all the bacteria that is going to get created in that decomposition process that then helps grow your vegetables. So uh, vegetable farmers compost is is their best friend. So that's why it's important to have more compost. And so with vegetarianism a little bit on the rise, or at least people minimizing the amount of meat that they're eating, do you think, do you think that this is a trend? Do you think it's actually making a difference? I am not someone who is going to scream to the mountaintops of why we should all be vegetarian because I think your diet is going to be a reflection of where you live. Yeah, totally. Um, so if, if you if you live in the desert, for instance, yeah. what used to be a savanna and maybe there were, um, you know, buffalo and, and animals just roaming the savannas, um, that's not the best place for vegetables to grow. So I, I think we, because the, the Northeast and New York in particular is uh, um, kind of dictates what seasonality and, and food culture is mm-hmm. to the rest of the United States. Mm-hmm. And because vegetables grow really well in this part of the country, um, I think vegetarianism is something that a lot of people in this part of the country feel very passionate about Mm. but that abundance of vegetables doesn't exist everywhere so i I agree i believe in in eating what's around you yes beautiful way of putting it can we talk a little bit about being a farmer when you live in an urban environment and by being a farmer i just mean like planting things in your own house Yeah. because i i'm so my apartment faces north and west and gets no direct sunlight like many apartments in new york obviously and i always you know i would love to have herbs i would love to have like a citrus tree there are so many things that i would love to have but it feels like unless i want to get grow lights which are often ugly and also i imagine like hike up your electricity bill like crazy what can you do like what are your thoughts what are good things to grow as an urban dweller i would say that if you're an urban dweller, um, you want to grow things that are that grow a bit smaller. So herbs, uh, specifically annual herbs, are great things to grow as an urban dweller. So something like basil. Can we talk about an annual versus a perennial? Sure. An annual means something that you have to plant every year versus a perennial, which is something that... Um, you put into the ground similar to a tree one year and it continues to grow over several years. Um, depending on the type of perennial, it could be until it dies, like a tree that lasts 150 years or more, or asparagus that tends to only last like 7 to 10 years. Huh. Um, so anything that is over three years categorizes as a perennial, a, a biannual, 
would be something that takes two years to go to seed. So like a carrot, for instance, won't go to seed that first year. You have to keep it in the ground, and then it can go to seed <laughs> they are. during the second year. Uh, plants are amazing. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Um, so sorry. So you think it's better to plant annuals? Better to plant annuals, things that are smaller. Uh, so so basil. Um, actually, peppers, I would... I would uh, encourage people that are trying to plant something near their windows or yeah, a pepper plant a pepper plant specifically a hot pepper plant uh, yeah. peppers are really vigorous plants so i would i would be a proponent of that um thyme and anything that uh maybe looks or feels close to a succulent mm-hmm. um i mm. would say would be something that i would grow so thyme or sage or rosemary these are things that are, are really bountiful. Um, oregano? I would do oregano definitely as, as, a, as a home dweller. So Thing, like hardier? Hardier things, things that have shallower roots. So lettuce, I would actually say, I would, I would grow in pots indoors. I'd be in heaven if I had a lettuce crop inside. You could, um, you could grow lettuce on your walls they, with grow lights. You could do all sorts of stuff with lettuce if you wanted to. Um, but things that have deeper roots that uh, that need more than a you know best case scenario like a two foot pot can support would be things that I would grow indoors and grow lights um, just if you don't have a lot of uh, window space and natural sunlight then invest in the grow light. Is the yeah. grow light then on all the time or do you is it on a timer? Um, you would want to put best case scenario, you want to put grow lights on a timer because mm. if it's on all the time, right, that's not natural. It's going to, it's not the, the plant isn't going to get to sleep. Actually, when, when darkness occurs, that's when the plant, most plants actually grow. Mm. So, um, the plants will get stressed during grow lights, which is how some people grow certain types of flowers. They trick the plants with lights oh. to allow them to flower, like orchids grow um, sometimes wow. that way. Um, so you would definitely want to put it on a timer. Cool. Yeah. I want to say that when I first met Davis, part of what I loved so much about him was that he had like an entire basement worth of snacks underneath his bed so like i would come it was he and his roommate extremely valuable he and his roommate Cade, and i would come over and he had like the pop tarts and the cheez it's and like you know teddy grams or whatever things to any of our listeners who are going to college definitely bring a lot of snacks you'll make way more (laughs) you don't have to join a sorority or fraternity (laughs) just bring snacks but it's like such a i mean and we were talking about this earlier about this idea of balance of like you know You'll still go to the Dutchess County Fair and like exactly. eat a funnel cake and eat a thing of fries and like you love a pop tart, sure. Even if ninety five percent of the time you are like pulling things out of the ground and prepping them, and like I think that's just such a great way of living your life. As like, yeah, what does your body too. want? It's totally like uh, our the having a night mentality. Yes, too. exactly. So let's talk about what we're gonna cook tonight. Sure. So we're gonna make a pesto. Yeah. Okay. Now, Davis came in and he immediately <laughs> took all of our garlic. <laughs> and ate it. <laughs> and ate it. No, no we were like, it. okay, how should, we make a, how should we make a pesto? And he wanted to, so, why am I fully confit? Confit. Confit. Thank you. The garlic. So we put it in oil. So, okay, do you always confit your garlic before you make a pesto? 
No, but it's a really easy thing to do mm-hmm. because um, it takes that rawness out of the garlic. Yep. And you, if you have the time, you just steep it in oil. And then you get the garlic oil, which you can use later oh, or for something yeah. else in the meal. And you get that garlic that um, that is almost cooked. It's a two yeah. for one. Yeah, two it's like one. soft. I mean, God, like a duck confit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So pesto, so but we're gonna do it fairly traditional pesto, pine nuts, basil, parm, if everybody's okay with that. I mean I know now are the days we could be making carrot top pesto. Except that we also have well, we basil. We have a lot of basil so. on end of basil season, we gotta use it. Yeah. I agree. Let's do the basil. A tomato salad with some shallots and olive oil. Sure. And like maybe a little bit of vinegar. Yummy. We're gonna make a kale salad, but so far we haven't well, we massaged the kale with salt. But what are we going to... We'll figure out what to do for the dressing. Wait. I just had an idea. What? You remember, do you guys remember that game when you're little, you like fold up a piece of paper <gasps> and someone draws yes. like the top of the head and then the eyes and yes. the nose and then... What if you did that with like a salad? Oh, <laughs> so wow. someone just like does the lettuce and they pass it on this person like adds one more. Let's do it. No, no, no. I think Why it's, not? Well, That'd also be you so would fun. see what's in it already so you would kind of know. But then isn't that but... great because then the last person to have it sort of puts like the finishing touches on it slash has to make it really good. If everybody else Oof. has screwed it up, it's like on they you pro- to sort of. I feel like of... they've done that on like a top chef action. I'm probably ripping it from that. But yeah, that but could be an with idea. With the four of us, I think we could try it. We'll see. And then. We made plum ice cream. We did. Plum gelato. I'm a little nervous because uh, Davis walked in and I said, hey, we made, we made plum ice cream. And he said, I just made plum ice cream. And I'm like, God damn it. You're a professional. <laughs> but his but was made plum sorbet. sorbet. Exactly. Yeah. It's so different. And the plums right now are delicious. They're killer. Mm-hmm. You guys yeah. want it. Yeah. Okay, last question is what is the most memorable dinner party you've ever hosted or attended? Oh, my God. Well, I might say... Sophie has throws a pretty great dinner party. Thank you. Um, but you threw one of my most memorable dinner parties. Really? At, at Stone Barnes. Oh, that's true. Oh my that God, you guys! I, I had to, I did that a few times at Stone Barnes um, because I love cooking, and they have this beautiful vegetable field on this beautiful landscape, and pitch a little tent. And um, wow, yeah, that's allowed. Well. Ooh, I like that rebel. It mm. was really special. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That could be it. Let's go with that. Yeah. That's my most memorable dinner party. You made a salad that the dressing was a really aged white balsamic, a tahini, and mustard with olive oil. And it was unbelievable. And you made these little quesadillas that I think also had like flowers in them. I mean, it was like <laughs> extremely memorable for me. And then just, just dark chocolate. There was something else in there, but yeah. I was, yeah. I'm sorry that I just used yeah. the question, <laughs> but I got really yeah. excited a good one. that you, you were a part of one of my most memorable <laughs> Well, cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much, Davis. Yeah. Oh, thank you to Davis, obviously. Oh my God! To our editor Colin, mm-hmm. to our producer Rebecca, and of course to New Neighborhood Authentic and Ad Large. You've been listening to Having a Night, so go out there and cook a vegetable-centric meal. <laughs>